Hello and welcome everyone. I'm Morgan Klein, full-time mom, personal trainer, co-founder, and COO of Burn Bootcamp. I'm here to bring you a strong dose of hot topics such as nutrition, fitness, self-help, style, entrepreneurship, motherhood, and so much more. I strive to inspire you to live your life with greater balance, vitality, and empowerment. So grab a mug and join me for a cup of coffee and kettlebells. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Coffee and Cuddlebells. Today, I'm excited to have our guest back to the podcast to talk about what alcohol actually does to your body. So today, I'm here with Brooke Kalanick, and she is going to tell us all about how you know we can really make the best decisions if we are drinking alcohol. Thank you for coming back to the podcast. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. All right. So, you know, I talk a lot about weight gain, weight loss. You know, it's it's more about calories in or it's not just about calories in, calories out. But I know a lot of people think that, you know, they can eat less or skip a meal because it's Friday night and they know they're going to go out for drinks. Right. And they're going to balance it all out. But let's talk a little bit about why this is not a good philosophy and how this can really have an effect on our hormones. Yeah, alcohol is so interesting. I mean, it's kind of in its own like macro category. I mean, it's really not a macro, but it it doesn't, you know, I think we have this idea that it behaves like fat, right? It's got what's the seven calories per gram, same as fat, um, that it's immediately stored as fat. And I, I think that um, it is an interesting little kind of not food, but it is an interesting, I guess, nutrient, if you will, even though it's not nutritious, but it has its kind of own deal. So it's not metabolized. I've heard it. I've heard people say like it's metabolized like straight sugar that was like liquid bread. Have you heard that one? Yes. That, like mm-hmm. booze is liquid bread. And it's really not. And it's also not like drinking a bottle of olive oil. Like it is, it's its own thing. And so one of the things that happens is, you know, F alcohol or ethanol is really quite quickly and pretty easily converted into something called acetyl-CoA. And so if you think about what your metabolism is doing all day, we talk about quote unquote burning, you know, we burned some fat or we're burning the sugar. In your mitochondria, just before you go into the Krebs cycle, which is the little cycle that does produce your energy. So when you say like burning glucose for energy or oxidizing fat, we're talking about what happens in the mitochondria. So when it comes to like the Krebs cycle, that starts with acetyl-CoA. So if what you want to take away from this like biochemistry story is that when you have alcohol in your system, you're going to have plenty of acetyl-CoA and your body's going to see that as like, we have plenty of energy. We've got all sorts of, you know, substrate and ingredients for this energy producing cycle. We don't need to burn anything else. So you're certainly not going to be dipping into fat stores very well, but also, you know, most of us are eating something while we're drinking and you're not going to want to burn that very easily either because this is going to kind of take priority because it happens relatively quickly. We also don't really store alcohol the way we would store like glucose um, or fat. And we want to remember too, that it's not just about like the calories or the, you know, nutrient composition or even this acetyl-CoA thing. When, when alcohol comes into our body, it sounds kind of, you know, I guess, what's the right word? Um, Not exaggerated, but like really, oh gosh, I can't think of the right word. Um, (laughs) Dramatic. That's what they're okay, yep. really dramatic to say it's like a poison, right? Or a toxin, but your liver kind of sees it that way. And it really will prioritize metabolizing alcohol before it's going to like say metabolize the appetizers that you ate with it. So your body really does like to deal with it and process it and, and get it out. And there's a lot of stuff that can happen in that, you know, in that process. But 
so the way to think of um, alcohol as far as like it's affecting your metabolism, it doesn't turn instantly to fat, but um, what it does is basically inhibit fat burning, if that makes sense, because mm-hmm. you're, again, like you've got, your body sees it as there's plenty of energy around. I mean, kind of the downside of that is unlike if you ate a piece of bread or a piece of chicken, you don't have any nutrients with it. Alcohol doesn't come with any like, I mean, wine can come with some antioxidants and stuff, but it's not like we got a lot of nutrient value from this food, but it gets kind of prioritized as what's going to get metabolized first. And mm-hmm. it kind of stops your metabolism in some other ways. Mm-hmm. So does it, so basically you're saying like whatever you're eating with that alcohol isn't going to get metabolized the way that it would if you were not drinking the alcohol. Exactly. So yeah, again, you kind of go right down this pathway, your body thinks it's all good and it just deals with that. Yeah, got it. (laughs) And that's why a lot of people will say like when they drink with dinner and stuff and like that night, they just feel full all night, right? Well, Mm -hmm. you just, you're, you didn't really metabolize the rest. of what you were doing. And if that can be really dose dependent, people may feel really fine with a glass of wine or two, but obviously more than that would really, Mm -hmm. you know, impact these things even further. Yeah. And what about like, you know, when people drink and I'm certainly, I've experienced this as well. I come to a certain point where I actually like get hungry again and I like want to eat or, you know, and I, I, I don't know if it's because you lose like this willpower of saying, I'm not going to overeat or if I'm actually truly craving stuff. Um, but that seems to be a trend, right? Of like, if you're drinking all night, you want to come home and eat, you know, a pizza or run through mm-hmm. Taco Bell or whatever it is. Like I'm kind of going back to my college days, Beth, by the way, not now, right, but right. <laughs> um, can you explain, like, is there a link between drinking and making us have cravings that we otherwise wouldn't? Yeah. So a couple of things happen. So one is that you will get a bit of an insulin release from alcohol and that if you, there's no food around. So you were talking at the beginning, like, is it almost like, can we offset like the calories from this glass of wine by skipping a meal? I mean, in like a perfectly controlled scenario, you could like calorie for calorie, that's all you're looking at, but that's just not really how it plays out for most of us, right? Like you were saying, that just, it's, it's a bit more complicated as far as the calories go because all this other stuff goes on, mm-hmm. you know, in our metabolism. So you, you could get a bit of a, you, most people get a bit of an insulin release and that for a lot of people drops their blood sugar, especially if they're not eating. Now, when you think about what we just said, it could be like, metabolism wise, maybe better to drink on an empty stomach because at least you're not, you know, not metabolizing the food. Mm -hmm. Most of us don't feel great when we do that, right? That, that, you know, helps the alcohol effect get way too much. And then we're doing (laughs) all things wrong. Not Um, recommended at home. (laughs) Not recommended. So most of the time we recommend you do eat with, with alcohol, but again, that is going to slow down the metabolism of that, of that meal. But back to the insulin thing, if you get a surge of insulin and you don't have a lot of, you know, glucose or, you know, protein, amino acids, you know, anything else around to, you know, use, you're going to get a drop in blood sugar and that's going to make you really hungry, right? Mm -hmm. So you're going to find yourself. And I do think there's a willpower element to it because when we, you know, we have that first glass of wine and you're relaxed and you feel better, maybe you don't care as much about Mm -hmm. your carbs Mm -hmm. or like what you're eating. Um, But that drop in blood sugar can really spike your appetite. And of course, you know, when your blood sugar is up and down, you're going to want the stuff that brings it up fast, right? So that's the starchy stuff. So that's what most people find. And then because of, again, like the way that your body's prioritizing 
dealing with the alcohol, you're not metabolizing the food and making glycogen and that stored sugar. And so between that and the inevitable cortisol rise that happens um, when we have alcohol, alcohol almost always raises cortisol and dopamine, which is one of the reasons it can be addictive, right? When you're getting a dopamine hit from that, that's Mm going to feel pretty good, especially if you were low dopamine. But between the cortisol and having the blood sugar dysregulation, when you go to sleep, you're going to have fitful sleep, right? It's just, you're going to be a little bit wired. Most people do not sleep as well after they've been drinking. Wine is a little bit different. There's tyramines and histamines in there and those raise cortisol more. And then also they can be agitating and stimulating on their own. So many, many women, myself included, love wine, but it really messes with my sleep. And so I really have to decide in that moment, is this worth it? Because I know I'm not going to sleep as well. Yeah, it's funny you said that because, I mean, I'm not drinking right now because I'm pregnant, but I am a wine drinker. I like like white wine. And but whenever I would drink like more than one glass, I would get the worst sleep. And I, and, but it wasn't always like that if I did like, uh, you know, a vodka drink or something. So wine, mm-hmm. I, I totally like, I wake up throughout the night if I drink wine, which is no, is no fun. Yeah. And some women will feel like hotter at night, especially if they're going through perimenopause. It's mm-hmm. like they say that, you know, wine is like a hot flash food. Ah. So part of that is, you know, those tyramines and again, histamine, and they're really stimulating and you can, you know, definitely be awake and you're warm and you're agitated and it's hard to go back to sleep. Yeah. And, and what about mood? Like how does alcohol affect our mood? Well, I think that most of us, you know, we kind of know that alcohol is a you know, depressant at first and stimulant later. And that kind of, that's what people say. That's kind of a common, mm-hmm. you know, adage. But, you know, when it, as far as affecting, and I think we, stimulant later is kind of the stuff we just talked about, right? With the cortisol and the tyramines and the blood sugar problems. But many people, when it comes to mood, you know, alcohol, again, like I said, it will raise your dopamine and your cortisol. So for a lot of people, it feels really good, right? When you first, and maybe that's why it can become a problem too. But um, initially going to be, when you have a drink, like, you know, within that half an hour, you're usually feeling a little bit better. Over the long term, though, I mean, it certainly depletes our B vitamins. It's going to, you know, as soon as you start dysregulating blood sugar and sleep, your neurotransmitters are going to be affected. Your mood and your energy and all of those things can really go downhill. And then I would also just like to add, you know, I think that for many of us, I mean, it's almost become just like a cultural, um, you know, you can just picture the like woman in her 30s or 40s with the kids and the glass of wine, right? Like yeah. we just see that woman, like we, many of us probably are that woman. And, you know, we make the jokes about it and stuff. But I think that a lot of times we're self-medicating just and maybe in not even like a dangerous way, but just again, we're like avoiding dealing with the stress or yeah. we're, that's our stress management tool. And so that's sometimes when we want to check in on mood too. Like, is there anything that like I'm not looking at for, you know, myself or relationships that I'm in or stress levels that I have. And this is my escape or my stress management tool. And so that mood kind of factors into that too. Mm -hmm. If we're feeling down and we can go have a little pick me up by having, you know, some drinks with our girlfriends. And I don't even think that that's the worst thing in the world. I just want to, I want us all to be more like conscious and mindful about I'm making that choice because I need a stress relief instead of just doing it all the time. And then also reminding ourselves that we need more than one stress outlet, right? Yeah. Like some of us drink wine, some of us over-exercise. And mm-hmm. so we need to, and those things can help relieve stress, but we also want to make sure it's not like our only tool because yeah. maybe at this stage in the game, it's not the tool that's working best for us. Yeah, yeah, that's great advice. 
So I was reading on one of your blog posts about how alcohol affects our hormones, and you talk a lot about the misconception between alcohol and estrogen. So what's the misconception that we're often hearing, and then can we talk about what the truth is? Yeah, I think that there's this idea that you just drink a glass of wine and your estrogen just like it's either full of estrogen or your estrogen just shoots off the chart. And some of the studies that sort of led us to say things like that were often done on postmenopausal women who are taking estrogen. So it's not that alcohol does not impact estrogen. We know it does. We know it increases our risk for breast cancer. We know that it does impact our estrogen metabolism. It tends to decrease um, growth hormone, which is one of like our lean, you know, healthy anti-aging kind of hormones. But when it comes to estrogen, I, I think the truth of what's really going on here is it definitely impacts our estrogen metabolism. So we can end up impacting because again, alcohol is processed by your liver and it's going to impact how you process your own estrogen or any estrogen that you might be taking. And you can end up making more of the problematic estrogen metabolites. So one of the things you want to think about with your liver is it's taking estrogen through its metabolism. And there's one pathway that's considered more protective and we want most of it to go that way. And then there's two other pathways, the 4 and the 16 hydroxy pathways. And if you're making a lot of those, those are the ones we know that impact our risk for estrogen-related things. They damage DNA. And that's really where we want to think about how do I impact, you know, my estrogen metabolism when I have alcohol. Mm -hmm. um, so there's, you know, and it also anytime we impact insulin and cortisol, we're going to have an effect on estrogen as well. So it's a bit of a complex hormone story. And as you're talking about estrogen, I, I my next question was actually around breast cancer. And so is there a link between the role that alcohol plays in our body and increasing our risk of breast cancer? There is. So we do know there's a link between um, alcohol and breast cancer. And if you look at sort of the breast cancer awareness groups, the you know, advice there is typically um, no more than one drink a day. Now, that sounds like a lot to some of us. That might not sound like a lot to other people. But I think with that, so if that's the guideline, again, we really want to think about what are the other things going on for us? Do you have any other risk factors for breast cancer? Are you already somebody who doesn't metabolize estrogen very well? Like, for example, if you're going through you know, perimenopause, you're going to have more of an imbalance with estrogen and progesterone. So you're kind of losing some of the protective effects of estrogen. Or maybe you're someone who has like a sluggish COMT, which is an enzyme that processes adrenaline and it also, and some of your neurotransmitters, it also processes estrogen. So you might have issues with that. Maybe you just simply have like a B vitamin or a magnesium deficiency. And so you're not running that pathway well, or maybe you have a genetic, you know, snip in there where it's not working well. So I think the one drink a day is probably a fine guideline for everybody to start. But again, we just want to look at like, what else is going on for you? Like, what mm -hmm. are your goals? You mm -hmm. know, if your goal is fat loss, alcohol doesn't usually right. lend itself very well to that. I mean, some people will say they can have a glass of wine and it really nips their cravings. And, you know, that's fine, again, if that works for them. But a lot of women, all the stuff we talked about, right? If they're having alcohol, then they're not sleeping as well. Maybe yep. they're not making food choices as well. Um, yeah. So I think you have to really look at your own risk mm -hmm. too. And like, are you taking the pill or are you taking other hormones? And I think alcohol would, you'd look at that that way too, that that would probably increase your risk for these less healthy, helpful estrogen metabolites. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. yeah, I think giving a, a number a day as a blanket recommendation is probably a really hard thing to do because we all have, you know, unique issues. Yeah. And I mean, do you feel like, uh, and, and I 
maybe asking you a question you just literally answered, but do you feel <laughs> there is a sweet spot for how many drinks we should limit per week even? Like, would you would you say like per week is a better guideline versus per day? I think, again, it really matters on you. Yeah. Like for me right now, my sleep is so tenuous. Like I just can't sleep if I have alcohol. So I limit it to one or two nights of, mm-hmm. you know, on the weekend mm-hmm. where if I don't sleep and I can sleep in the next day. Yeah. So I think it really depends on you. And whereas if you asked me a year ago when I was in the middle of writing the book, I was probably having wine much more frequently just to manage my stress. Yeah. And it helped me fall asleep, but it certainly didn't help me stay asleep. Mm-hmm. So I think it really, it's hard to say because, you know, I think there's other people who are naturopathic doctors who would say, no, you shouldn't have it at all. Like, it's just not good for you. And we do know there's, you know, again, like, should we have red wine because it's good for the heart? Well, the benefits in women don't seem to be as good as they are in men, but, you mm-hmm. know, and we could also take resveratrol in a supplement and maybe mm-hmm. sidestep the alcohol things. I think it depends, you know, on you. Like, is it something that you love? Is it something that really brings you, like, joy to have a glass of wine with your husband or with your girlfriends. Maybe there's a way to fit it in either more frequently or more frequently less glasses of wine. Like some people would rather have one glass of wine three nights a week than they would rather have two glasses of wine one night a week. Yeah. And yeah. so I think it really depends like what does this mean to you? Again, what are your goals and what are your individual risks? Like right now, like my sleep is like my number one thing. I just really feel like I've mm-hmm. been really worn out this last year. And so to me, like alcohol really had to go because I'm just really focusing on getting rest and not being so sick. My kids keep bringing home all these like viruses (sighs) and I'm catching them all. So that for me is the priority. And I think with all that stuff, you know, you want to continue to reevaluate it. So whereas like a year ago, maybe a glass of wine most nights was working fine for me and now it's not. Mm-hmm. You know, so we want like if it's in your routine, in. make sure you're always checking in to see like, is this still a good part of my routine? Yeah, and I always say like, what's the joy factor, right? Mm-hmm. So like for like some people drink just because that's their habit, right? We have a glass of wine with dinner every night. My husband comes home, opens a bottle of wine, and we have a drink. And I'm like, are you even enjoying it? And they're like, no, it's just there. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing as like walking past your coworkers desk where there's a bowl of M&M's. It's like, do you even like M&M's? They're like, no, it's just there. And I'm tired. So I grab it. So it's like, stop and think for a minute. Is this something that I even enjoy? Like if it's, I would say like high joy factor, then like for me, the M&M's could care less. Like a sea salt caramel totally would go into that. Like that would be fun. A really good glass of wine. I love a crappy glass of wine. I'm going to skip. So ask yourself, like, is this really, is there something really good for me there? Yeah. We've talked a lot about wine right now. So what's the best alcohol or is there a best? Again, I think that really depends on like your own unique biochemistry. So for me, well, I think for most of us, like a hard alcohol drink with sugar in it is always a bad combo, right? Because you know Mm -hmm. that sugar is just going to stay high in your bloodstream because you didn't, (laughs) you know, you didn't process it very well based on that, all that stuff we talked about at the beginning. And also now you've got like a double surge of insulin because you've got the sugar and the booze. And so that tends to be like the worst for all of us. And I think most of us are like, that's the worst headache. That's the worst hangover. That's the worst like puffiness the next day. So that tends to be the worst. But again, if it's once a week and like you love some drink that has some sugar in it and you have one, like a margarita, like maybe you just have that, right? But you just don't do it very often. Mm -hmm. Or at least right now, maybe you have to reevaluate. But the sugar and alcohol combo tends to be a really hard one for most of us. You know, wine tends to be, you know, it's got, again, got some polyphenols and there is some like antioxidant health benefits to that. You do really want to make sure you're drinking high quality wine. Like there's companies like Dry Farm Wines and people that are curating, you know, additives, no pesticides, all that stuff 
if you don't want to like subscribe to a club like that, you do really mostly want to steer clear of American wines. Um, mm-hmm. So they're, you know, European, Australian, uh, Italian, those things tend to be less additives. Um, organic does matter and biodynamic. Those things can be, you know, really impactful because there's just less stuff for your body to deal with, right? Mm-hmm. So it's already dealing with the alcohol. And most people notice they feel a lot better switching. I know it sounds crazy. I was like, if it's wine, like we're already like going down that road. Do we really need to worry about pesticides? I think most people would report they do feel a lot better. And it is one more place you can kind of clean things up. But so with some of those health benefits, like polyphenols and stuff, you know, again, if it really impacts your sleep, like if you're having a histamine issue, you might do better on like a vodka soda with some, you know, piece of fruit in it instead of, um, you know, having the tyramines and the histamines from the wine, which is fermented. Um, so yeah, I think it can depend a little bit on your own issues, but mm-hmm. I think sugar is probably the thing that, you know, mucks us up the most. And But I find a lot of women, they're like, I don't want to drink like a glass of whiskey or yeah. a tequila soda. That just doesn't sound good to me. And I, you know, I know a lot of women who are like, I don't really like vodka because it just doesn't taste like anything. So again, you have to ask yourself if, if you really love wine, is there a way that it can fit in your week? And I always categorize food as like, there's the stuff that doesn't work at all, right? So for me, that's gluten. Um, I, do, I just can't have that. Um, there's food that works really well. So it's like protein and vegetables and water, right? Like that makes everything better. And then there's that stuff in the middle that things that don't work well. So it's not that they don't work at all. And it's not that they work super great. But this is like sugar and wine and maybe dairy for some people. Like, is there kind of a, those foods in the middle that you don't want to give up completely, but you want to have them and you just can't have them every day and you can't have them in high doses. Mm-hmm. Those are the ones to kind of play with and, you know, again, reevaluate. Maybe like you're kind of found it's something that works a little bit right now. And then in six months, it doesn't yeah. work as well, right? Yeah. So just being able to look at how you're using them and hopefully fit them in in a way that doesn't totally derail you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this has been so helpful. Thank you so much for all of your expertise and knowledge. And I know I've just learned so much, not just this podcast, but the one we did, guys, which you you definitely need to go listen to. We talk a lot about acne and breakouts and how you can kind of get control of those. But if our listeners do want to hear more from you, where can they find you? Better by Dr. Brooke is my website. And that's Brooke with an E. I'm on Instagram and Facebook, again, at Better by Dr. Brooke. My book is Hangry, which you can find mm-hmm. anywhere um, books are sold. And I have a podcast with my co-author, which is the Sarah and Dr. Brooke show. Yes. And we will link all of that in the show notes, guys. So you can go check it out right now. And thank you guys for being here. We'll talk to you later. Thank you so much for sipping on a cup of coffee and kettlebells with me today. To find a recap of today's show, be sure to check out the Burn Bootcamp blog. To get your daily dose, be sure to like our Facebook page at Coffee and Kettlebells. And follow me on Instagram at morgan.a.klein. If you have any questions you'd like answered at the end of my next podcast or have any suggestions for guests that you'd like to see featured on the show, please reach out to me at coffeeandkettlebells at burnbootcamp.com. If you love this episode of the podcast, I'd love to hear from you. Please subscribe, rate, and leave a review on the iTunes store and be sure to share with your friends. Thanks again, and I hope you join me next time for a refill of coffee and kettlebells.